This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. This is Houston Huddleston from New Starship, and I'm restoring the Enterprise D bridge, and you're listening to Trek FM. T. Earl Grey, hot. It's time for another serving of Earl Grey, our dedicated TNG show. I'm Philip Gilfus, sitting in the center chair this week. I'm joined by my co-host, Chief Engineer Daniel Pru at the AF station. Now, Daniel, I, I heard that Dr. Crusher has been after you to be in one of her plays. I think it was the Gilbert and Sullivan play about um, honor. You know, I got to tell you, if it's not tap dancing, it's a play. And if it's not a play, it's something else. I don't know what it is about Dr. Crusher, but she's always pressuring me to be in her side projects. See, uh, it's the one on the ease on Englishman. Was that the one? Or I can't remember which one she was asking you to be in. Oh, well. Well, I'm sure it's to her credit. Um, I'm also joined by my co-host, um, Behind the Wooden Rail, Lieutenant Commander Darren Moser. Uh, Darren, I see you'll be performing at an upcoming concert in 10-4. Now, now, what will you be playing? I'll be playing my pocket upright bass. Uh, it's the newest 24 thing. It actually folds like eight, 82 times to fit in my pocket and then it just pops out. It's, you know, it's the wonder of technology, but yeah, I found this great spot in the enterprise. It's actually right behind captain Picard when he's sleeping. And I just stare right at him as I play my upright bass. And it's uh but the acoustics are, are amazing. Okay. I, I've never heard Frere Jaca on a bass before, but I, but I look forward to your performance. Um, and as folks may or may not be able to tell, we have a what I like to think is a very interesting topic, at least for me, and I hope it is for y'all. Um, we're going to be talking about the arts in the next generation, and that's, you know, whether you want to call it culture or whatever. But basically, we're going to be talking about the, the music, uh, plays, literature, um, actual art, as in paintings and, and clay and all that stuff. Um, like one thing for the next generation for me, and again, this may be a very Philip thing. But growing up, like, it exposed me to all this stuff. I mean, you look, I'm, like, what, 9 or 10 at the time? Um, and so hearing these musical pieces or hearing plays or literature or all these things, like, I've never heard of them. You know, I'm in, what, 10th, you know, 5th grade or something, you know. But I, I, it, to me, it really opened up my mind. And I don't know about, like, so, like, Darren and Daniel, is there anything that you remember from Next Generation where you're like, oh, wow, I want to look learn more about that? Or, oh, is that what that music I always keep hearing during... Uh, Looney Tunes is, or, you know, anything ever jump out at you? I'd say it, it was probably my first exposure, at least to kind of wrapping my, my young head around Sherlock Holmes when Data and Geordi were, you know, cosplaying it on the holodeck, as it were, uh, you know, and not dying, you know, from time to time. But, yeah, I mean, there's so many literature references in Star Trek um, from, you know, Shakespeare to... You know Sherlock Holmes to, you know, just well, there's at least those two. I know there's more, but, <laughs> uh, but yeah, but no, there's there's a lot of great things. Uh, you know, I, I kind of am glad that they didn't really try to show like, oh, this is 23rd century art, and then here's some 22nd century art because it's so hard to do future art. It really is. It's so. I mean, I'm okay if everything that's being chosen to display on the wall is from the late 20th century. It's just, it's, it's the best. It's the best uh, century in in my. Well, book. we all know we stopped producing any bit of culture after <laughs> the World War Three. Uh, what, what about you, Daniel? Anything ever pop up to you uh, watching it in first run, or, or even in your many rewatches? Uh, well, I'm I, I, instead of talking about that, I'm actually going to argue directly with Darren right now. Um, no, I'm I'm sorry, Darren. Uh, but no, no, um, go for it. But but and fight. It actually is one thing that really bothers me is the fact that, like, it, like a so Star Trek most of the time is like here is nineteenth, twenty, twentieth, first, twenty first century art, and then like occasionally when they happen to mention the giant gap in between, 
um, or they happen to mention alien cultures, it's just a mention. It's like, oh, he was like a Shakespeare or, or, or you know, or, or a Mark Twain, or he was like a, a Andor of Andoria. Like, it was like, and they never actually <laughs> delve into it. Right. Like, oh, yes. Good old Andor. <laughs> That's the name you came up Daniel, with. Daniel in the writer's room. Um, Andor of Andoria. And everyone's like looking the other way. Why do we keep Human of him? Earth. <laughs> it's like bowl of Bolian and you're the clips of bowl. Anyways, that kind of irritates me. And actually, the the pro, yeah, the no. proliferation of you know a lot of frankly of what we're going to talk about it, it sometimes gets a little bit to me. Like it's like oh my okay I get it, but it's like this is not we have an additional three to four hundred years of uh, you know uh, of culture and art and all of literature. Um, but actually, specifically to answer your question, Philip. Um, uh, coming from a non-traditional educational background, which is a whole other story, but I, I was never ac- actually exposed, um, really all of my exposure, or most of it at least, to Shakespeare was was from Star Trek. And because the Star Trek writers were so obsessed with Shakespeare, you know, even from the original series on, it's like, I get it. I get it. We I get Shakespeare now. I like. I don't. I mean, is that the first draft of Cupid? Were they not? It wasn't. Was it not Robin Hood? Instead, it was you know Hamlet. <laughs> it might. Or, it might as well yeah. have been right. Yeah, because that's a love story that we want to show. <laughs> uh, but but you know, um, at least it, I will say, at least uh, you know, even though it kind of irritates me a little bit, at least it did expose me to those kinds of those kinds of things and. Uh, you you know just that's just literature but we'll talk obviously a little bit more about it but uh uh it did expose me to a lot of things that i probably would not have seen or heard uh, otherwise well not to make an orb or the orb reference but i was watching i just finished my season 3 rewatch of ds9 i can't remember the episode but there was one where bashir was I think he was. I forget if he was talking to O'Brien because Garrick wasn't there. If he was talking to Garrick, I can't remember. But he was basically saying, I felt like it was like a veiled reference to what you just mentioned, Daniel, or something like, like you know, in the past a hundred years, the Federation writers, you know, they haven't written anything original. It's just the same rehash. I almost felt like it was, it was just their way of saying, like, we never talk about original stuff, do we? For anyway. But uh, but anyway, to get to get into this topic, um, the first thing we're kind of going to get into um, is the music that we've heard in in TNG, and I'll admit a lot of the stuff I've, st- I've stuck to um, in my outline. But you know, we can talk about whatever is is real stuff. You know, is is actual you know real music from Earth's history. Um, but you know, we can certainly talk about like the made up stuff too as well. I mean, like Klingon opera. You know, if you but but I am sort of but you know. Um, but music. So a lot of the things that struck me about the, the next generation, and to me, and you can say this either as a compliment or a complaint, like TNG and the and the crew of the Enterprise D kind of struck me as a little bit more like elitist, at least culturally, than the other crews. Like they seem to be like much more like NPR, you know, with with their taste and and like I know that the Doctor on Voyager sang opera, but like and, and so you can say whether that was a good thing or a bad thing, but I think that's something that definitely. Like, that's a TNG thing. Like, I think we have this thing. You know, arts is more of a TNG thing. But you can argue with that. But anyway, when it comes to music, most of the crew, if not, I don't know, all of them were musicians. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like, so, like, Darren, like, I mean, who who do you think was the best musician? Or or what were some of the musicians of the Enterprise crew? Well, you definitely had Picard, who sang uh, rousing bar songs for his crew. <laughs> it wasn't Picard. No, 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 no. not Picard. <laughs> you have to remember, that's the only way Riker knew that wasn't Picard. <laughs> oh, oh, right, right, right. Sorry. Uh, if, so if he had done a singer. flute solo. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he got uh, from his implanted memories of how to play. Riker, you know, just never hitting that solo for his uh, trombone. Uh, you know, Data with his violin uh, causing Sarek to cry. I mean, good job, Data. Um, but, you know, and then Lieutenant Commander Darren with her fold-out keyboard. Uh, yeah, there's there's just so there's so many. Uh, I mean, even, uh, you know, Worf, I, you know, Klingon chants are definitely music. I mean, he, he could, he could oh. belt it out. Yes, yes, no, he could. I'm kidding. <laughs> because there, there was actually a really good, like, one of my favorite... Um, like non-real songs, fictional songs, is uh, from um, oh lordy, 
um, the two-parter where Worf goes to the Cromulan Cromulan. planet. Birthright? Birthright. 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 Birthright, is that it? Where he's he it's a birthright part two where he's singing that song and everyone just starts joining like I love that Klingon song I mean I'm not even gonna try to fake what it sounds like but anyway <laughs> I, but, I kind but of remember how it starts but I unfortunately forget the first measure so I can't I can't, oh. I can't sing it. well it's because it has that Klingon poetry story song feel because that young man you know has just done his first hunt and he he's there and he's like oh because uh, they all sound the same in Klingon. You go, duh, duh. And then they all just start chanting along and, like, you know, banging their mugs on the table. I was like, oh, that's so cool. I love that, actually. The one thing I was thinking about when I was looking at the musicians is, like, you know, okay, we got these main members, but, like, Daniel, there's, like, Chief O'Brien played in a concert one. Like, I, I seriously remember him playing. I, I don't know if it was a violin or something. And then, like, kick. Didn't, like, Keiko play, too? Like, I'm sorry, everyone played an instrument. And Molly show. fell in a vortex in the <laughs> musical family. I don't remember if uh, Keiko played or not. She may have. But I do know that um, that the – so it's mentioned in TNG that uh, that that O'Brien plays the cello. And then he, uh, he further elaborates in Deep Space Nine that, in fact, he was going to become a professional cellist. That's right. Um, That's right. His father was pushing him to, I believe, to become a professional cellist. Uh, I think it was a cello, um, and he, he, you know, he obviously chose a different path. But uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but you, um, you know, I, I don't know. I actually kind of feel like. I mean, you're right that all of the characters, well, most of the characters, seem to have this this kind of. So I'm gonna I'm gonna bring it back to. To our sister show, to the journey, to the journey. An observation that I, you know that um, Tristan has made uh, that I had thought about previously, but I, the way he you know kind of put it together into an idea really made sense. But he, he he's like Star Trek always does this thing where, in order to so in order to show a culture's kind of sophistication and like uh, you know level of like how how uh, advanced they are they always say oh we were poets and we were artists and we were you know what i mean so like so it, like and you're right uh you're right philip that tng does this more than anything else where it's like of course we're all everybody here is we're, we're all writers and we're thinkers and, and and which is i actually like it i think it's good um but the but to me i always as, as, as far as music's concerned i always think of Riker first like Riker with his trombone, he's like the guy to me that's like the most musically oriented crew member. I mean, he puts it in his ready room once he, you know, kills Picard. You know, that's, <laughs> it's, it's like the first thing he does. He even, Livingston's out. He even teaches his fake like, son how to play the trombone. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh. Uh. Yeah, because in some ways, and again, I'm, I'm, I don't want to go too deep because I don't, or maybe I am right. I don't know, but I feel like it was a little bit overthinking. Like, doesn't like jazz really define Riker's personality? Like, doesn't that make sense when you're like, Riker likes jazz? Oh, that totally makes sense. He's totally that guy. He has that kind of, you know, jazz personality and feeling where he can be almost all across the page. You know, we've seen Riker very, very serious. We've seen Riker very, very funny. And, and, and to me, like, he's definitely a jazz guy. Oh, yeah. Now, I mean, I, I did want to kind of w- talk about some specific musical selections in this. Um, so, as I said, as everyone in the world um, is playing an instrument, that would have been to have the whole crew do a concert. Anyway. Um, and who would fly the ship, Philip? Who would fly it the ship? Nobody knows who's anything. flying the ship anyways, so who cares? <laughs> it's it's, um, it's that, token, it's the, it's during token the diverse member <laughs> con officer is... Um, so, like, what, what you mentioned this, Daniel, or, or Darren, or, or someone's whose name starts with D, was um, in the episode Sarek. All right, so that's Brahms Sextet Number no. One in B flat major. That's the one from Sarek, like I said. Um, that that data. I don't. I forget if it's just data, but anyway, plays. Um, which I think is interesting because when I was doing the research, 
it was supposed to be a Mozart concert, I think, in the episode, but this is clearly a Brahms. I say clearly. I don't know the difference. I just looked it up. But it's clearly a Brahms piece. Um, so I just thought that was a, a fun, you know, I'm sure there's some musical person that's like, continuity, where do I write my letter to the editor? Um, but anyway, so I mean, that, that to me, that, to me, I don't know. In 1990-whatever, when this aired, and when I was this age, classical music was still, like, just, you know, it was on NPR or it was on that, like, station and you know in the 80s on the FM dial, which I know it still is, but, um, or this was, like, you know, this was the pre-Duck Dynasty days, guys. This, on A&E, when you turned it on in the morning, like, it would just be, like, orchestras playing, and, like, to me, like, at this time, classical music was sort of like, eh, nobody listens to that except you're, like, old aunt or something you know um but listening to this was was sort of like you like you said daniel like an exposure that i didn't always get and in some ways and maybe this is me projecting because i love tng and i love picard and everything but like this made classical music cool to me like it wasn't that dreary old person thing that that was like i don't know if that really has that reputation nowadays but but like i i know this is a uh one of your favorite episodes daniel like like did you get get any more appreciation for classical music through through stuff like this, or was it just like, oh no, it's pretty nice? I I don't know if that that I could say that I got more or less appreciation through this episode. Um, in probably or probably a little bit after maybe the the episode aired, I was actually started to get not not heavy into classical music, but I uh, started to listen to it a little bit more and. Um, yeah, 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 the, well, the thing about that particular scene is that it's so powerful of a scene for so many reasons. I mean, it's not just music, although the music plays a massive role in that scene. Um, <laughs> you know, but uh, there's so many different elements that, that matter there. Uh, but it is interesting that, you know, we get, we take again, you know, an older earth piece of music, which is fine sometimes, not every time ancient at this time um but that we take it in and, and we put it we contextualize it in in this future and we get this emotional reaction out of this this character who's not supposed to have this kind of emotional reaction um so it do, it does kind of like i said I, I don't know i don't know if i would necessarily say that it it inspired me to look into or get into classical music but it certainly uh helped my appreciation for it, I'll say that. What about you, Darren? I don't, I don't know your your musical taste, but 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 whether it's this episode or this piece or any other sort of the more classical pieces in TG, did, did it make you want to learn more, or was it just like, oh, that's 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 sets the mood? Yeah, no, I think I kind of echo what Daniel said, where uh, I think they used it properly. I mean, it never felt like music was used like, hey, this is what the cool kids are listening to now, so let's put it in a next-gen episode. That'll really get the ratings going, you know. But instead, it was used thoughtfully as a, you know, an actual part of the story. And, and yeah, I had the same kind of feeling as Daniel did, where it's like, yeah, this is cool. This is, like, it's data, you know, who's, like, an awesome character, and he's on a starship, and he's playing classical music. I better check this out. So, you know, eat that afternoon special. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I don't I don't know if the, the writers cuz I don't one of y'all mentioned this. Like I don't know if the writers how if they felt like pressured or you know, if that was the mood. Like to, you know, how do we put it in like oh, we have to use like I'm sure like the writer writes like, you know, it's in the public domain, something. so we're going to use it. <laughs> That's you know what? You're probably right. That's, you're probably right. There's probably no greater thing than that Cuz boy, did they learn their lesson. We'll get to that later. <laughs> Oh, Sherlock Holmes, yeah. Okay. Um, another piece that, and to me, this is one of my favorite, and it's like seconds of that piece in in a, in, a, in Star Trek The Next Generation, but still, I just love it because of the context and because of the volume of it. And I'm talking about Berlioz's Les Troyens, Vallon Sonore. This is from Star Trek First Contact, even if you didn't understand any of my bad French. You know it from Star Trek First Contact when Picard has his bass and treble set to 13. Um, and Riker enters that ready room with all those, his you know. 80 pads, pads are shaking on his desk. <laughs> yeah, as he's there to be like, um, sir, we've had a complaint from the hood about our music. It's too loud. You Number one, you know there's no sound in space. It's a total lie. <laughs> um, oh, I love that so. Yeah, no, I I really like that part as well, Philip. It's 
you know, again, used very poignantly where he is, he just wants to be alone in his thoughts and he's drowning out the engine hum. He's drowning out the calm chirp. You know, he just, you know, he left the door unlocked, which is kind of his own fault, but you know, he's, he's reflecting and he's, you know, trying to, to make a decision, you know, again, it's the Borg. It's, it's this huge deal for him. So I, I really, I really like that. It's a great, powerful moment in that piece. Well, Darren, I don't think he left the door unlocked. I think Riker was hitting the chimes for about like five minutes and there was no answer because Picard couldn't hear all the music. So he's finally like, you know, Riker security code 4752 and open the doors. I'm like, oh, there he is. Um, but like, Dane, what, what about you? And not to turn this into melodic tricks. Um, but anyway, what would you sort of think about that sort of musical moment? Yeah, I mean, it's it's obviously that piece was was chosen very deliberately for that scene. Obviously that, you know, it's it's like like Darren said, it's very powerful and, and it's meant to convey an extreme amount of emotion for, for such an important decision. It's weighing on Picard. And uh, it's actually not anything that I normally kind of think of when I'm going through, when I'm watching that, um, you know, because it's kind of quick. It's kind of, it's just kind of like, oh, you know, he, and then he comes in, Riker comes in. And, uh, but it is, it does, it certainly adds to the scene. Uh, and it's, it, it's, uh, it really kind of emphasizes that kind of real weight to that decision that he has to make. And it really makes you feel those Dolby speakers really does, in the theater, yeah. too. So. Um, the THX <laughs> rumbles. <you know. laughs> exactly. You know, one th- this is my, my own, like, headcanon, my fanon, um, of that scene. Because there's this kind of weird part. Because Riker goes, like, use and Picard's like Berlioz. And so, like, I have this, like, fanon that, like, Picard's, like, mentoring Riker in classical music. They're, like, exchanging, you know, isolinear chips of music and you know, on downloading on his whatever. So is it like a use. chain? So Picard mentors Riker in classical and then Riker mentors Data in jazz and then Data mentors Jordy in violins, uh, you know, on the beach with women, and it just keeps it keeps going. <laughs> yes, Darren, but that chain is only as strong as its weakest. Oh, I think mind. we know what um, the weakest link in that chain is right there. <laughs> yeah, so that that's always my fan, and that like he he's you know I don't know, anyway, but um, but oh, I just I just love that because it's so strong, obviously, and, and opera again. I, I'm not a an, a, a uh, you know because I, I love doing this topic is what is why we're doing it tonight um but like i'm not an opera person i'm not a classical music i mean in, in other words i'm not an expert but i love listening to it i i don't know it i've never i've never actually seen an opera um like a, a whole opera i always want to go to one of those like movie theater things they always have um where they show it but like um oh, like a fathom so, event yeah 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 so and and so it's but to me like i said again being a picard um file if that's a word um i'm like look picard thinks it's cool so i think it's cool so I, to me it, it definitely opened up like i i want to i like it i like listening to it i may not understand it but i like it well that that portrait um, of him above your bed looking down approvingly as you listen to your opera so i'm sure uh he appreciates well it. i i stole one of the portraits from the generation set so i think it's his the one where he's dressed as uh, uh the colonial uh, uh britain wig one anyway um uh, well, like another musical moment, um, is, and we talked about it with uh, Darren. Um, I'm talking about Lieutenant Commander Darren. We, we did talk um, about it. Oh, he has to say, I don't remember talking about this yet. <laughs> was uh, was from the episode Lessons. And, you know, this is a callback, obviously. I mean, um, Lessons, of course, for those who, who may not remember. This is one with Lieutenant Commander Darren and Picard, Romance, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, but this is, of course, the callback to the Inner Light. Where Picard's playing his, his flute, you know, playing the inner light music, and then you have that that great scene. You actually have two great scenes, in my opinion, because there's a lot of music in this episode. Obviously, um, you could go with the whole metaphor of you know two instruments blending together. Um, but yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, and so you have you have sort of the Frere Jaca like jam session in Picard's quarters. Um, but but I mean, to me, like the blending of again, I'm not a musical person. That people listening are probably smarter than me. But like piano and, and flute, how you can combine those and improving and all that stuff, and then of course when they do the actual inner light, um, I don't know, duet in the in the I don't know Jeffrey's tube section J tube seven, I don't know wherever. Um, I mean that, that's obviously just a really cool musical scene, obviously you know with the relationship too. But but Daniel, what did you kind of think about just the whole 
music in that and how that related to that episode. I well, I love that episode. I, I'm I've said it before, but you know, I think it's it's absolutely wonderful. I think it's great. Like you mentioned, it's a, it's obviously a callback to the inner light, and a lot of people. A lot of people are, you know, it's one of the complaints or, or criticisms sometimes leveled at TNG that like the next episode that Picard is just right back at it, and and that is that's a valid that's a valid concern, but but at least we do deal with it at some point, and it's like this is the episode that deals with it and says, hey, by the way, this this serious event in Picard's life has altered him, has changed him, and and affects him every single day, and uh, so we get this awesome music, and then. On top of that, we get this great new character. Way to go, Darren. Um, <laughs> blue shirt. And she's a blue shirt. Oh, my God, yeah. And, uh, you it's know, the most awesome blue shirt ever. Yeah, pretty much. And, uh, you know, it's, it's... Wow. Spock, Darren? Spock? Uh, really? That's true. But, but it, it's, it's, it's wonderful. And, and the music and, the, and you know, the, that we get in that episode is, is really fantastic. And I actually kind of feel it's probably a, a bit underrated in, in fandom. I, I don't know. Some people don't seem to talk about it often. But I, I, it's, it's really one of, one of my favorite episodes for sure. All right. Darren, what do you think of your namesake or <laughs> possibly she's named after you? I don't know how it worked out. I'm pretty sure she's not. But, uh, yeah, I mean – I I think we're all keenly aware that, you know, the the inner light theme as it as it were I'd say is probably the most associated or recognized theme in Star Trek the Generation besides an actual Star Trek theme. We should totally use that to begin our podcast. I know. I mean, look at that. You know, we 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 know it's so recognizable. We wove it into the introduction to Earl Grey and and it's beautiful like and a tapestry. Like like a like a tapestry. <laughs> Uh, but you know, I, that's the only piece that I can think of. I've, I've heard, I've, where you've, I've heard, you know, classical renditions of it with like huge orchestras and bands, you know, to, to tiny solos with different instruments and people love that theme. They love embellishing it and adding to it. And, and it's just, it's so, it's so, it's such a clean kind of pure sound, uh, and it and it they use it great in that episode in the in the sweet spot as it were not not with gravity but with uh, <laughs> with uh, Picard's not sitting on the roof because that would be awesome but uh, uh, no considering what what happened when the camera panned off it, anyway never mind but yeah yeah well I'm wondering if you know I, I'd almost want to hear the uh, show audio you know what does it sound like on the set and it's just her like hitting the keyboard and there's just nothing because it's you know post-production Picard going and, <laughs> yeah, and it's and and then like every noise they make like echoes deadly against like the plywood and it just sounds like utterly t- someone's got like a tape deck in the back playing the theme so they can kind of like and it's like muffled through the through the wall and it's like yeah this is what it really sounds like it's I don't know why I'm picturing like the tape deck you had in elementary school it's like the big rectangle he's like play and just holding it up <laughs> Data's in the background holding it up with both hands. <laughs> rep- represent. But no, it's a, it's a great scene. And, and it's really, you know, it's a clever, it's a cleverly done scene. And it, you know, it's this little getaway. And it's not like, it's nice it's not on the holodeck. It's not that, it's nice that they don't recreate, you know, a, a huge musical setting. They just find this quiet little corner of the Enterprise. Because it's a pretty dang big ship, you know, and, and just have this moment, you know. Yeah, and, and to, I mean to sort of talk about you know the music and arts, but like to, to have these two mus- musicians bonding, you know, over their love of music, and, and I think it's there's two parts that that kind of bring a smile to my face. One is when um, Darren, I wish I remember her first name. Uh, Darren was asking Picard, like, "Oh, have you been playing long?" And you see that it takes him a moment because, like, in reality, a year; in the other reality, like seventy years. <laughs> He's like. Uh, a little bit, you know. I forget his response. But uh, even, see, Nell, I love Nella, Darren. Nella, yeah, yeah. But like you see, like that, he just takes that moment, and you already know what he's thinking. Like great acting, obviously, from Sir, Sir Patrick. But the, the second part is when um, he tells her that at the end of the episode, like when I thought you were dead, you know, because that earlier part where he like closes the box and the flute, like I would never play again because of you know how it was associated with you. So I mean, I thought that was sort of a powerful thing to to show their relationship with with the music and all that stuff. So. 
Well, and him actually even playing it for her was something extremely personal. I mean, I, I think they had at least, if not stated, but alluded to the fact that he only played that for himself. Like he had never played it for anyone else because it was so personal from that experience he had uh, in the events of Inner Light. And to, to sort of finish up our musical category here, um, before we go to potent potables, is um, uh, the the singing. We we don't really get a lot of singing, I'll say, in TNG. I mean, we're not like DS9 where we have our own, you know, personal singer. We just have our own fencer. That's pretty much what we have. Um, but uh, we do get some singing, and of course, it's from the uh, old Yellow Eyes himself, Data. Um, uh, mostly in the movies, you know, we get obviously. Um, some Gilbert and Sullivan in Insurrection, and we get some uh, Irving Berlin in a uh, in a uh, Nemesis, um, and we get some life forms, I guess, if we want to count it in Generations. <laughs> oh, we always count <laughs> the life form song. Absolutely. Um, and we already mentioned Picard's uh, drunken uh, singing, and uh, like I said, and Warp. So not a lot of singing, but I mean, I don't know any anything else jump out at you that I've forgotten as far as singing goes. Um, Okay. Well, I just wanted to mention it. And and for those who want more about music in the next generation and everywhere else, please, if you haven't been listening to Melodic Treks with Colin, please listen to that. Cause, not only because we were on that, but because other people have been too. It's a great show. And, and we're all thinking of Colin. I know he's having some, some health challenges, so we always hope he gets better. But that's a great show for more about music. Um, but now I kind of want to move on to sort of literature and plays. Um, and my first thing is my outline that says, did we ever mention Shakespeare? <laughs> do, boy, do we, we do, boy, do we mention Shakespeare? <laughs> well, Daniel, you, 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 you talked about it a little bit earlier. Um, any reason why we, we would talk about Shakespeare? I can't really think of why it would ever come up in the next generation. Well, I mean, I've any? heard, and I don't know if this is true, as I mentioned, I, not, not a, I don't know a lot about Shakespeare, but I've heard that you can't truly appreciate Shakespeare unless you've heard it in the original Klingon. So, I mean... Oh, it's because Worf was in it. statement makes absolutely no sense, <laughs> but... <laughs> <laughs> On so many levels, right, yeah. Yeah, but of course, I'm, I mean, I, like, dude, this is the fact that you have, and I'm, I don't know, I, I don't want to out-categorize him, but when you have Patrick Stewart as your lead guy, do you, like... Can, is there any way not to write Shakespeare? It's like, no, guys. Oh, my, we're totally my, my pen avoid slipped, it. and I wrote Shakespeare. I'm sorry, Patrick, but this is in the episode now. <laughs> I, I actually think that was like the sti- the main sticking point between season three and season four, when they were he was arguing for his contract, you know, to come back for the rest of the like like Patrick Stewart was like, listen, I want to direct a few episodes, and I also want to kiss some girls. And I want more Shakespeare. And I think that's probably what it was. So, you know, that's fine. Because these are are the references. Some of this was off memory and some of this was off memory alpha. Uh. Um, But these are all the plays um, that I got. So Henry VI Part Two, which actually I have read, from Encounter at Farpoint. Um, We have the – these are just references. Um, Oh, and I should probably explain what they are. So Henry the Six part two. You probably like. I don't know what that is. Well, if I say the line, you'll know that that's Shakespeare. Kill all the lawyers, right? That's what Q says in the courtroom. It's a very famous Shakespeare reference, but that's from King Henry the Sixth, part two. Um, you have um, from the Naked Now. You have the Merchant of Venice being paraphrased by a certain android. If you prick me, do I not leak? Original one being, if you prick me, do I not bleed? From Merchant of Venice, um, Hamlet. Now, this is, I love this. Is actually, even though I hate, hate, hate this episode, hide and cue. Um, there's a great Hamlet uh, quote there, and this is actually, I think, I think the first episode we see the Shakespeare book in Picard's ready room, um, which was always there. I mean, I, and again, not, before not it was surprising. propping up the the Stargazer model, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, maybe I should open it up and read it occasionally. This thing is but dusty. <laughs> um, and I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, uh, if you will all indulge me, I, I can't help it. I actually do love this quote from Hamlet. I'm actually going to go ahead and read it. Because um, this is, remember, Q, and if, for those who don't remember the episode, and it's fine if you don't because it's horrible. This is the one where uh, Q gives Riker Q powers. Um, and, and this is during the little, like, uh, when when the bridge scene is having their um, RPG session on the planet and uh, 
uh, data is rolling for a, a D20. <laughs> um, penalty, and Picard. And, isn't there somebody in the penalty exactly. box of that scene? I just, I can't remember. Yeah, I, I was in the penalty box <laughs> during that scene. <laughs> That's right. Well, you should have had, you had to roll at least a 20. Experience B. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I place you in a penalty box. <laughs> she was in a stasis field. Yar couldn't move. That's what it was. Anyway, but the, but the quote that Picard reads to Q, he, he says, you know, Hamlet said this in an irony, and I say it for, you know, whatever he said. So here's Picard's quote. He's like, oh, I know Hamlet, and what he might say with irony, I say with conviction. What a piece of work is man. How noble in reason, how infinite in faculty, in form and moving, how express and admirable, in action, how like an angel, in apprehension, how like a god. And so that was a very, because, uh, of course, Hamlet is making fun of man Picard's like you know, that's how I think man might be one day so yeah, I just like that quote um, other references is we see some actual scenes just, just, just as I attempted to do some actual scenes acted out we have a Henry V scene played out by Data and a certain made up actor playing another part Patrick Stewart obviously um, from The Defector um, if you remember that scene um, The Tempest also starring Data on the episode Emergence and um, and uh, there were some sonnets from a certain episode I like to call Menage a Troy. <laughs> so um, those, any, any particular, I mean, I may just have done it with that last one there, but any particular Shakespeare reference that, that you all enjoy more than another? I mean, I think it's always fun when Data actually plays a Shakespeare role. It's, you know... And I'm glad that they keep them short. I'm glad it's not like the entire episode. It's kind of almost the C plot or like the teaser before the credits. But it's 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 fun. I like uh, you know I I like you mentioned Philip. I actually really like that quote. Um, of course, not knowing initially you know where it was from, but but they they mentioned it enough. You know, the Q actually brings it up. Oh, you know what what is this garbage? What is this nonsense? And Picard, <laughs> you know, in in that kind of interaction i like that because it, it feels to me kind of like it's it's almost like the essence of what picard is and also what the essence of what star trek is uh and so it's i think it's actually a really important interaction uh, between two very important star trek characters and i actually really liked it as well um and then of course i i love menage troy and i love it, like it to me it's like it's 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 so close to the line of like you know, bury your head in your hands, kind of awkward and embarrassing. But because it's Patrick Stewart delivering the lines when he's saying these things to, to you know, to Mrs. Troy on the large screen, you're just, you, you, he gets away with it and you let him get away with it. And it's like, it's so silly and it's so. Well, Riker's laughing his ass yeah, off on the true. command deck, by the way. During this whole it's thing. so ridiculous, but it's like, it's the fact that it's Patrick Stewart and, and you know this man, you know, he just demands that kind of respect and you're like and it's because of the, the the scenario of the episode presents is so fun and silly that it's like okay i get it and it's fine and he's you know he's pining and and trying to win uh, mrs troy back and it's uh, i still love it i think it's great it's probably the highlight of the whole episode yeah i'd say <laughs> you mean the naked locks on well they were both naked so there's there's that's true, that's true. <laughs> and then just just so i i you know we're we're, we're being slightly educational here. So the references that Picard makes in that little, you know, if you remember that monologue at the end, it's from the Sonnet 147. Um, these are all Shakespeare, of course. Sonnet 147, um, the first two verses. Sonnet 141, the first four verses. Sonnet 18, the first two verses. And the, uh, I have, once I have plucked the rose, I cannot give it life again. Its needs must wither. That's actually from Othello. Um, which I actually was reading it in context. It's very bizarre because that's actually right before Othello kills his wife. But anyway. So, um, so is that the yeah, most yeah. obscure hidden 47 reference in Star Trek? <laughs> Sonnet 147, like sir. <laughs> yes. Yes, I'm aware, Data. <laughs> oh, goodness. You know, one one thing that I, that I find when I was rewatching that I don't think I've ever noticed before like and we can talk we'll talk Beverly here in a second but like Picard actually is a director like the character is actually a director for a lot of like he directs all of Data's one man shows apparently like um, where does he find the time I, like I never like he's like a hidden talent of John Luke that he's an actually a st- theater director apparently because he, he he directs um Henry the Fifth performance of Data he directs his um Prospero um the Tempest performance in Emergence and when they go back in time 
he directs a Midsummer oh, Night's yeah, Dream really. in the 19th century. <laughs> well, see, by the 24th century, it's called Captain of the Play. It's no longer the director. <laughs> he just he, he made up that term. Now, correct me, guys. Uh, maybe I'll have to give part of my TNG card up here at this point, but I don't think so. Um, and I think we learned this in um, the Q episode, that one Q episode that we were talking about. <laughs> Um, <laughs> which one, Daniel? Hiding which Q. one? <laughs> that that book that Picard has in his ready room is like the complete works of Shakespeare or something, right? That's why Q is reading right. it, like, and he's always got it on display there in his room, right? Isn't that like where that even yeah. comes from? See, so I imagine those little like orange vertical circuit boards were. Uh, that's like the digital version. That's his digital. It's his Kindle. His, it's oh, his Kindle the version. He has he on his, and then he can just plug it into the desk, and it's just all Shakespeare all the time. So that's what, true. You see, it's, yeah. But it's subtle because like nobody knows what it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness! Well, like uh, another uh, uh, apparently another one man show of data that Picard directed um, that actually wasn't Shakespeare, believe it or not, was Dickens. Uh, if you remember, I'm actually did I write the episode down? This Devils is when do. Um, Devils do when Data's doing a Christmas Carol, when he, he has the Marley Ebenezer Scrooge scene. Um, Which I mean, okay, it's it's a good episode, but I, I it's a great felt, episode, no. Darren. No, 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 it, no, it is a good episode. It is. I'm not. Ta- I have no qualms with the episode. It's just that this scene, well, I feel it's like they're at the edge of like where how far they can take this. Let's put Data in a play gag it's like he's done so much and it's like now he's ebenezer freaking scrooge and i'm like okay we okay writers you need to try something else for a little while because it's it's a little much for me but it's it, i mean it's, brent, it's funny because it's it's brent spiner getting to emote because he doesn't usually get to do that yeah we don't get we don't get hardly any of that in tng like hardly any it doesn't seem like every other episode he becomes a ridiculous character that he gets to play or or possessed by a a, a jolly uh, being oh wait 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 <laughs> brent what was that do you want to dress up as a woman this episode all right <laughs> <laughs> my hero oh. <laughs> Well, um, and, and I mentioned Beverly, so let's talk Beverly. Uh, this is this is called Beverly's Little Not Theater. Now, Beverly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so apparently, in addition to her her dancing duties, which apparently she tries not to talk about, um, is that she directs plays on the Enterprise because why not? You know why um, not? Because <laughs> what else? You know what else is there to do? We're just we're uh, just it's captain know. of the stage. Remember, in the twenty fourth century. <laughs> Well, Captain Picard kept the name. Um, so the plays that I that I this is off memory, so um, I think I got it right. That she she's after Jordy in Disaster to play in the Pirates of Panzance because he, he you know she's bugging him and he's like, That's right. I am the very model of a modern major general, and it's like ah, which I don't. Do we picture Jordy singing a? Because you know he like he he's terrible at the line when Picard drunk Picard. Makes all they him need sing. to do is like fine tune the wall to show all the words, all his lines <laughs> in a frequency or you know, sort of light ray that only he can see, and he doesn't even memorize his lines. He he's the perfect stage guy, which I think is weird. Like Levar Burton can I don't know maybe I'm just like assuming I assume Levar Burton can sing. Uh, like, Butterfly was he just in playing the sky. L- I mean he can totally <laughs> sing that song. Can we? Can we also bring up the fact, and Philip, oh my goodness, yeah. Philip, forgive me. Um, it's a Q episode, right? No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, are we convinced that there are going to be plays in the future? Like, I don't, like, I'm not, like, I don't understand. Oh, is, is this, is this your whole, like, everything should be in the holodeck? Yeah, why wouldn't it, why would it not be? That doesn't, like, it, even oh, when. Or use the holodeck yeah. to make a, make a stage. Even, right, and even when um, that one up. Ep- like frame of mind, like frame of mind, or even the one episode where, um, with the train, uh, and Picard and Data are on the hall, and Picard emergence, emergence. yeah, and Picard's like it's right. too dark in here. Uniform city. Why would anybody like like play at least traditional plays how they're performed now? Like why would they be done that way three hundred years from now? That make that's like that doesn't make any sense to me. Like why like why is this still a thing that happens? That you can only fit twenty people into this room, and then 
I don't know. I just it gets look. We have IMAX screens. <laughs> Why am I going to a theater to anyway? Oh, and that, and that's uh, something I've always brought or brought up a couple times. You know, is that in context? Like you said, Daniel, this is like three hundred years in the future. So that would be equivalent to like kind of like our civil, uh, you know, our Revolutionary War reenactor groups. It's like, why are you doing this? This is like you're purposely acting, you know, like 300 years ago. Yeah, but but like to me, and of course this is where I'm going to have bias here being someone who does this. Um, but like, I mean, theater is that old though. I mean, like how far back can we go to when there was theater? I mean, when you know, Belana the, Torres was like inspiring the Greek me- movement. Oh of, my uh, God, that of, episode. Of, of, oh, oh, <laughs> no, but, but it, no, you're right. You're right. I mean, you are right. You are right, Philip. And this is just me as like an average. Well, well, no, I think your question, Daniel, I'm, this is how I'm translating your question and possibly changing it and assimilating <laughs> it and making it my own. It's completely different. <laughs> is that why would you physically, like in frame of mind, why would you physically make the stage and tend forward when you can just go to the holodeck and just be like, computer, give me a, give me a table. No, 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 a real table. They're really no. bad at tables, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, it, like instead of having like an actual set that you construct, why don't you just go to the holodeck and be like, holodeck, build me a set. So, because like, you know, like I said, in, in frame of mind, they actually build a set, presumably. Yeah, I just, uh, yeah, it just... I mean, whatever. Replicated it's, set. Not, it's not a huge issue, but to me, it's just like... No, I mean, I can see... It's a good question. I mean, will theater survive 400 years from now? I think it's a legitimate question. I mean, I don't I, I don't think that film would will survive that long either. It doesn't... To me, it doesn't... It doesn't. We'd have hollow we would novels. Have intera- yeah. Everything would be interactive. If you have the ability... That, the line between video game and ex- movie would blur. It, it's the ultimate goal of entertainment, really. I, I just think that, and we achieve it in the next generation with the with the. That's a whole other subject. We can actually do a whole show on that, Philip. So let's. Are you saying that Pro Program Four Seven Z is when you dress up in these green clothes and um, you have this big sword you put on your back and um, you go and and uh, and you have a wind stick and you go. Uh, <laughs> Oh, never mind. <laughs> um, okay. Um, but so the, another play that they do is Cyrano de Bergiac, and this is from the nth degree. Our own Mr. Broccoli performs. For the first time, there. not data. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was shocked. He makes people cry. <laughs> not, and not Sarek, but people. <laughs> <laughs> Broccoli makes people cry. <laughs> That's true. Oh, That's good. True. Okay, and then just moving along here, um, I feel like you know we're talking about plays and great works of literature that will last for oh, 400 years. I think now is the time to mention probably the, the TNG's most noted original work by our own operations officer, Lieutenant Commander Data. Uh, Daniel, would, would, you, would you please grace our audience with a few lines from the epic, epic poem? Felis Caddis is your taxonomic nomenclature, an endothermic quadruped carnivorous by nature. Your visual, olfactory, and auditory senses contribute to your hunting skills and natural defenses. I'd find myself intrigued by your subvocal oscillations, a singular development of cat communications that ovulates your basic hedonistic predilection for rhythmic stroking of your fur to demonstrate affection a tail is quite essential for your acrobatic talents you would not be so agile if you lacked its counterbalance and when not being utilized to aid in locomotion it often serves to illustrate the state of your emotion oh spot the complex levels of behavior you display connote a fairly well-developed cognitive array and though you are not sentient spot and do not comprehend i nonetheless consider you a true and valued friend Oh, to tear to me, I. <laughs> oh, up your shaft. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, I, and I feel like I have to say this. So, like, data is our most artistic. Pr- I don't know. Maybe you would. It's data and the arts, da- really. It, yeah, <laughs> he is because, the I mean, god the- of the art, the patron of the arts. <laughs> And this is what you were saying earlier, Daniel, with the with the Tristan remark that well, how can we prove Data is human? How can we show his journey through humanity and and the arts is what they decided to 
pick of where, whether he was painting or or acting or comedying <laughs> or you know um, music king. Um, I, all I have is Jarrett's here, um, and you know, like that that was the only that was the, the way that the writers decided to show that data was was learning to be human was through the culture and through art. You know, and it, I actually, I, when data does it, it, I, it works for me. I think it really is smart and makes it like, how do you show humanity? How do you show a being that is trying to learn it itself and to become what we are? And, and what are we other than creative beings, right? Like that's like, and, and how do you transition from something that just is something that is just uh you know just nature at that point something that has been programmed to something that is has inspiration and uh you know kind of learns and evolves and i i i don't know i like it when data does i i know know it's a lot of times it's kind of played for cheap gags but i actually think there's a lot there to play with i think that i like it when i even like when something is something silly to me like when data grows a beard right or you know, or or like we see him paint, and it's like he is essentially asking the fundamental question: is why is data not human, and and everybody else is? I mean, it it is that sort of ultimate form of self-expression, and then you know, music, art, theater, you know, whatever, facial hair. I mean, you know, I I say it laughingly, but that is a form that, that people use to express themselves, um, predominantly. Captain Picard now. Day. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of lumpy orange clay, this brings us to our last category, which will be very brief because obviously this is hard to talk about, um, you know, on a non-visual medium. Um, that's the painting and art. But, but like you mentioned, Daniel, I think it was at Birthright Part 1 where the Data's Dream um, sequences, and he, he tries to express those scenes through art. And I don't have them in front of me, but, but you know, those paintings that he makes, you know, whoever the real person that made them. But anyway, that he makes are, are actually very awesome. I mean, it's the, the, the crow or the raven, whatever it is. Um, not the Voyager episode. Um, and, <laughs> you know, the anvil, the – I think he – doesn't he, like, paint his, his – um, I think the Nunium, wing is one of them. The wing um, and, the, and all that stuff. And then, and then I mean, in data painting, like, he teaches Lol, his daughter, to paint. Or at least there's, like, a little, you know, when they're doing their, their – um, when you're showing all the different things that he's teaching her, that you show them painting together. Um, but yeah, I mean, and then you sort of see Data gives a painting to Worf um, in parallels uh, as a birthday present. You're holding it upside down, Darren. <laughs> oh, that's, that's, okay. This is the Battle uh, of uh, Tanesh, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but but and, and and we see Picard paint once for less. <laughs> Also, we know, no, he I, paints once because Data shuts him down so hard, <laughs> he never tries to paint again. He gives him the worst YouTube comment ever. That's which, why he which, goes by the way, back to being the captain of plays. Not, not to be uh, uh, salacious, but I don't, I don't know what that episode that is, but like they have a nude model for that scene. <laughs> like, I mean, that's like, I'm just watching, oh, that's, she's like, okay. Wow, that's about as much as I've seen TNG ever show. It's like, well, there's a uh, lieutenant, uh, you know, ensign, so and so, just sitting right over there. Let's just uh, <laughs> and paint her. And her just thing. so you know, it would have been totally okay with Troy if Riker had oh, drawn God. her. <laughs> I just want you guys to know the limits of their relationship. So, why well, wasn't Riker at that art class? Like, you just see him with like a, a pencil and like he's just like I don't he know. He brings his trombone and wait, what is this? Is this not, <laughs> not what we're doing? <laughs> I, I, did, did you didn't you forget your painting? He's like, we're painting. <laughs> yeah. <I did>. <laughs> <laughs> he brings his chair and just sits down. He's like, no, where's your paint stuff, Will? Oh, yeah, that's what we're doing. Uh, <laughs> he put he puts his leg up on whatever that she's she's laying on. Oh there. lordy. Yeah, um, but 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 uh, I'm trying to think. Whatever. Oh, and then they're just. And I was watch. I forget. I was looking at a website or something. But just one thing I never really thought about until I looked at this website is I just was looking at paintings and TNG. Just like almost every quarters has paintings in them, which you think like, well, of course. But like, there's not a. It's not a course. I mean, there's not paintings in TOS. The International Space Station does not lighting. actually have paintings. So this is <laughs> this is a new trend. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and, and I mean, I, I'll have to pay attention more in DS9, but I don't think they have paintings in there. I mean, they have more sculpture, I think, in DS9. They have the truth. more window. 
Yeah, and Voyager, I don't really remember the painting. So, like, I think that's really more of a TNG thing. Like, every, like, that, that I don't even know how to describe that. That huge painting in Sick Bay that looks like, the, you know, the Enterprise and the small intestines or whatever. If I showed it to you, I would know what I'm talking about. Um, and then there's that sort See, of famous... That's the in- medical display, Doctor. Oh, <laughs> I've had a couple to drink today. <laughs> but, of course, there's that I think Miss Frizzle I mean, was the con officer on that particular painting, right? <laughs> But uh, <laughs> not just cool. Yeah, but but I think um, like, we, like there's that famous to us painting in the ready room of the Enterprise yeah, D. I love that painting. I would love That's, to have that painting. Uh, well, that just happened to disappear on the last day of shooting. <laughs> I don't know where it went. That painting is amazing. That's a great painting. Uh, anything I'm missing, or anything that that's kind of jumps out to y'all as far as any art? I mean, I know Darren. We didn't talk about the clay room. If you want to talk about the clay room, I, I hate clay. Does it, or or without that special, I, you know, twenty ninth century tool, I can't make the clay do what I want. I have to actually use my hands and <laughs> and and skill. This is so boring. Gosh, why can't I just have this magical wand that just makes it do whatever the heck I want? Now, now Darren, we know you made your clay mask. <laughs> I, I it's my forehead ridges. Uh, my my dad's very proud. <laughs> It's it's actually perfectly smooth, so he's not proud at all. <laughs> uh, what about you, Daniel? Any, anything I'm missing as far as any artwork? Uh, no. Um, like I said, I'm a huge fa- a fan of that painting that's in the ready room. But other than that, no, there's nothing. What was that sculpture that in Generations that like Picard throws away? Oh, like, it was from no, no, no. It's from that episode yeah. with with his like mentor archaeologist. Oh, guy. that's right, the Chase. Which that counts as art. I'll say that, right? That counts as art. Yeah, it's it's the one that he, like, fangasms yeah, over. It's like the, yeah, it's like, he's like, it's intact, yeah. and then I'll totally discard it later. <laughs> it's like the Russian nesting doll duck thing. Like, it's like, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, make, uh, there's also that, there's that um, sculpture of, like, two warriors fighting in on oh, uh, yeah. Worf's no, coffee that's table. That's, um, oh, gosh, it's the main Klingon and his brother. Alice? Oh, Kalis yeah, and, and his, his brother, brother fighting. His well-known yeah. brother, known as <laughs> uh, the brother of Kalis. Kalan. Yeah. <laughs> K-Dan. Saying words to start with a K. <laughs> uh, have you not been on the Klingon homeworld? It's, it's like Smith. You mean Kronos? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Depends or on what year it Kronos. is. Or <laughs> so there's Yeah, there's, there's that one. Uh, I'm trying to think. Well, I guess... I guess technically in in uh, Ten Forward, it's not like a painting, but it's that kind of like, you know, luminescent back wall behind Guinan that's kind of, you oh, know, yeah. cool looking. Mm-hmm. No, that's just to show off the hard liquor so the people will order the good stuff. So It's green. It, it, it detects data. So when he walks up to the bar, <laughs> it flashes and she goes, hey, we don't serve your kind here. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna have to leave. No Irish and no Android. Android. They'll have to wait outside. <laughs> <laughs> he just orders a whole tall glass of cold milk. Blue milk. Yeah, that's right. I mean, technically, <laughs> is is Worf's chair a sculpture? Because it's kind no. of on the on the border. Let's hope so, because it certainly doesn't look like a chair. <laughs> I just want you guys to know, um, and all of our listeners as well. I don't know if, how many people are aware of this, but the the nine the quintessential '90s sitcom show Friends uh, has just been released onto Netflix, just the, you know just in the beginning of the year here. Uh, so I was watching it just for fun, and one of the characters <laughs> on that show way to play it cold. One of the characters on that show has. Worf's hand chair in their apartment. I just wanted everybody to know what that. I swear to I oh swear to God. Gosh. It, it, there's like a couple of because well, you know there's not two of those. No way in, in the world. <laughs> Absolutely no way. Wait, you mean I can't get them at the pottery barn? <laughs> oh, that was. See now I, I'm just cracking up because I'm picturing Worf's. You know, because there's that one scene in that one episode, that one time that we actually see him sitting in it, and I just oh, uh, all, all I can picture is the caption: "If it fits, I sit." <laughs> and just. Just <laughs> perched up on it. Well, any any 
closing thoughts, I'll, I'll do mine and give you all. But, like, I mean, to me, the reason I really chose this is because, like I said, to me, this, this as someone who, who does, I guess, arts for not a living, I wish I did it for a living, but anyway, but who does it for fun, and, um, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm not a musician, but, but I certainly appreciate music, you know, and I do musical theater and regular theater and all that stuff, and love to read and, and, and plays and all that stuff. Um, but, but, I mean, I, I just love that Next Generation really... I mean, does, like as we said, it doesn't like focus on the arts to an nth degree to choose an episode title, but like it, it certainly is very heavily emphasized. I think as part of the you know, even in the future, this is still our human past of culture still means a lot to us, and this is how the expression is still done, and, and that expression is is important. And, and my, my sort of last thought here is there's actually a line from Voyager that, that sounds corny when I'm doing my season one rewatch here, but to me it actually does mean a lot, and, and maybe it sounds corny to others, but it's the one where. Um, Emanations, when uh, Harry Kim goes, you know, to that other place where people think that's the, you know, he's come from the afterlife, and 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 he's rescued, and he says, "Oh, I need to go back to duty." She's like, "No, no, take your time." You know, we we treat these things like they're commonplace, but they're not. You know, and she's like, "I forget the exact phrasing, but like, you know, take time. You know, write in a journal or or do a painting or find some way to express yourself and and you know what happened." And, and I think that's like that's it's totally important. Like when stuff happens, whether it's good or bad, or you know, self-expression is important, or at least it is to me. Um, and so I think that's kind of the cool thing about the next generation. To that the one Harry journey. Kim composed into the void on his clarinet. <laughs> there you go. See another another musician there. So, but but uh, Darren, any any closing thoughts on the arts in the next generation? As I put on my smoking jacket. No, there's like you. This is a fun topic because there there are so many, and they're just so well utilized that it's not like oh well, this is the one where they you know actually used arts. It's like no, it's so interspersed. Uh, and I mean, maybe even our our good friend Hutchinson called me Hutch. I think he even talked about a a painting or two, if I remember correctly. But uh, no, this is it's a great topic, and it's it's a lot of fun to to see. And and you're right. I don't really recall seeing as many pieces of art, uh, or at least commented pieces of art, uh, on other Star Trek shows. So it's it's a fun uh, character in Star Trek: The Next Generation. And Daniel, do you listen? As I always try to, when I go to sleep, do you listen to Jean Luc reading you the epic tale of Gilgamesh by the campfire at night? You know, honestly, I, I wish I could say that. Um... We, you know, sometimes here we we borrow from the other shows here on the network, and there's a scene in Deep Space Nine where uh, I think I think it's uh, well, I know I know for a fact that it is Wayun talking to Kira, and he says, you know, the founders didn't give us a sense of of aesthetics, and I feel like that sometimes. Like I am not the most, uh, you know, artsy person, the most. Uh, you know, I don't appreciate probably as much as maybe some people do. And he says, you know, man, it would be, he asks, I think he asks her, would this look good in blue? And man, I just, I wish I could, I wish I could carry a tune or something like that. I kind of feel like that sometimes. So uh, I feel a little in, uh, inadequate in order to, to maybe sum this up. But uh, I will say that, that what they do present in TNG or in Star Trek in general, uh, sometimes might be a little bit, a little bit um, simplistic, a little bit uh, watered down, uh, but it I think it actually does inspire people, maybe, certainly to me, to at least look at things in a different way than they would have just naturally. So I see these things and I and I, at least I can see why somebody would spend their time, their effort uh, on doing all of these things. So for, at the, at the very least, you know, it's 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 made me appreciate the kind of creativity that people have more than I probably would have otherwise. Well, I think the next Prue clone will be a lot more art appreciative, <laughs> so don't worry. But you don't have to take his word for it. <laughs> Prue 47 will be so much more interesting. Um, well, it's been fun talking about the arts in the next generation today, but this is just one of the many Trek topics that we've been talking about here on the network this week. Here's a quick look at what you may have missed here on Trek.fm. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. Because it's it's actually legitimately trying to say something. Yes, very Star Trek. It may be the most Star Trek of all Star Trek. Yeah, it's definitely what I would point to as being, this is what science fiction is about. Earl Grey. 
Kovac will tell us to experience Bij sometimes, in which case we will draw the Bij card, Klingon word for pain. So it is. It is. It's it's going to be a lot of fun. To the journey. That's the one thing we could take from Homecoming is like paragraph one. Chakotay and Seven break up. That's for real. Yeah, they shake hands and go, "Hey, it's been fun. It's been nice. Thanks for the picnic." Eh, See ya. Commentary: Trek stars. At this point, like they could say, "Yeah, why not?" Star Wars crossover. I would, I would essentially say, fine. Both franchises are dead. Let's just sew them together and see what happens. Melodic treks. One of the most well thought out alien races that you only see in one episode. Yeah, and the music is, is it's menacing without being over menacing. If that makes yeah. sense. Axonar, the official podcast. I think Justin Lin is a, is a fascinating choice to direct because. The Fast and the Furious movies, even though, yeah, they're action-adventure, road-race movies, are really about a family. The 602 Club. That's really cool, though. I mean, I, I think that is uh, a fantastic way to get to see just about any movie, is, is kind of being able to watch it through a kid's eyes. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So you can check out all these shows and get in on the Daily Trek Talk. You'll find them in iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, the Windows Podcast Directory for Xbox and Zune, or you can stream from the website. Basically, you can find them anywhere. Just visit trek.fm slash pd for podcast directory to get all the links. And if you would like to contact us to share your thoughts on today's show, just go to trek.fm slash contact. From there, choose send to show, and of course, select Earl Grey. These messages will be emailed to the three of us personally. Finally, in social media, you'll find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm and on Twitter under username trekfm. Our new listener discussion group is called The Babel Conference, found by typing The Babel Conference, of course, in the Facebook search field, so you can find us there. Please support our sponsor, audible.com, who helps us bring Earl Grey to you each week. Audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read, but never thought you'd have time for. Audible is the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from and new titles coming every week. From classics to current bestsellers and even some of the most famous Star Trek books like Prime Directive, Federation, and Spock's World, Audible has something for everyone. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. So give it a try today, catch up on all those classic Star Trek books you've yet to read, and that latest novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm, and we thank Audible for supporting Earl Grey and all of Trek FM. And lastly, there's one more way you can directly help us keep Earl Grey coming to you each week, and that is for becoming a patron of Trek FM. By visiting www.patreon.com slash trekfm, you can choose among various pledge levels and receive rewards for becoming a Trek FM patron. These rewards let you inside the observation lounge of our network and make it possible for us to distribute all of our great content. So please become a Trek FM patron and visit www.patreon.com slash trekfm today. Now, Daniel, if uh, folks want to give you some suggestions of how you can better appreciate arts, where can they find you on the interwebs? Well, they can find me uh, on Twitter, and my handle is at OneUpDan. That's the number one, not the word. That was a very artistic choice on my part. Just let me say that. Very okay. artistic. And Darren, if people want to know about your daughter's next entry into Captain Picard Day, where can they reach you on the internet? They can find me on Twitter under username Dr. Sci-Fi. That's D-R-S-E-I-F-I. And if folks want to talk to me about... Um, my shrine to Picard's paintings that I have. Um, still one more left on eBay to get. I'll get the whole set. Um, they can reach me on Twitter. My handle is NC Public Servant. That's NC for nothing but culture. That that'd be N NBC. That's the wrong <laughs> All right, guys, I'm going to go uh, start reading the complete works of Shakespeare. I mean, um, I have to go to work early tomorrow, so I'm sure it'll just take me a couple couple hours, right? There's not a, there's not a lot of plays, is there? Well, anyway, um, we'll see you all next week. Until then, make it so. Live long and prosper. And get fire. Fire.